Hello everyone. My name is Sarah Selvados and I'm part of the street and food ministry and I'll be reading the Bible for you today. So if you could please turn to Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also inquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing the transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses and that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech. Kilon and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your father be like that of Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah. Naomi gains a son. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The genealogy of David. Then this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Ammonadab, the father of Nashion, Nashion the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Well, good morning everyone and, and, and welcome. My name's James. I've got the joy of opening up God's Word today. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm actually quite thankful that Sarah got to read that passage because I can tell you if I had to read that genealogy, 
I would have had no hope at all. And so I'm not going to skip the genealogy, but I'm probably not going to try and pronounce any of those names. And maybe you might try to pronounce them for me. But thank you, Sarah, for so reading that passage so well for us as we finish off our series in Ruth and start the Gospel of Luke next week. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us now as we come to our final chapter in the book of Ruth. Father God, we want to just recognise that you have given us your word, you've made yourself known to us, and you've given us this book, Ruth, a historical book that took place in time and history. It allows us to see a glimpse and you, you reveal yourself to us through this story. And so, Father, this morning we ask that we will gain a greater glimpse of who you are, etch it on our hearts, and help us to delight more in what you've done for us. And so, Father, help us to hear what you have for us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you like redemption stories? I like redemption stories. Do you like stories where people who have gone through tragic circumstances or great disability and they come back from a terrible place? They, they come back with incredible conviction and character with incredible ability at a great cost and they go from a tragic circumstances and they redeem themselves and life turns out for the good. Whether it's a sports star or whether it's someone who climbs a mountain or someone who had all the odds stacked against them, do you like stories of redemption like that? I like stories like that. Maybe you like other stories of redemption where the odds are against the man or the woman who comes from a dark background, filled with sin and corruption, finds themselves in jail, gets out, find themselves back in jail. They're in and out and, and they're always dealing with the police. And yet eventually their life turns around. They redeem it through their ability and then this conviction to go, I'm going to change my life at great cost. And they go from a really shady background to having an incredible future. Do you love stories like that? I think they tug at our heartstrings, heartstrings. And there is one story that, that I don't mind. Now, you may not have seen this, and that's okay, but it's the, the movie series of Rocky. Have you ever watched Rocky? Rocky Balboa? I reckon it's one of the most incredible redemption stories. See, Rocky Balboa, who was Sylvester Stallone, um, who, well, Sylvester Stallone plays Rocky. Now, Rocky... His life is down and out. People have said he's a nobody going nowhere. He's working for loan sharks. He's an amateur boxer. Life is in a terrible situation and it's headed south. But really the Rocky movies, they, they, they trace the history of this amateur, no good, nowhere person and he sort of redeems his situation. The ability, the character at a great cost. And by the end of the, you know, the movie, it's Rocky wins. It's sort of a bit like that. Now, that's an, ironic, that's an incredible redemption story. But what's really ironic about this is that in real life, Sylvester Stallone, after Rocky V, this is how ironic it is, is he was ashamed at Rocky V. It was a, it was a terrible movie. No one liked it. It wasn't good. And so he felt so ashamed by it. It affected his ego. People were disappointed including himself. The problem being, he wanted to redeem that situation. And But the problem was directors and movie companies, they wanted nothing to do with Sylvester Stallone. But the ironicness is of true Rocky form, where Sylvester Stallone in real life, he actually 
eventually has the ability, the character, and he fights through this and he redeems it and we get Rocky number six. I don't know how to keep up with how many Rocky movies there are. But there is something about redemption stories that capture our hearts. It gets at our heartstrings of hearing how people have turned around their life. I love them. We love to see the broken healed. We love to see people there with their demons cast free. We, we love to hear those kind of stories. It taps deep within us. And I, I wonder why does redemption stories tap something within us that stirs our hearts? Because I wonder if we too think, man, if I was in that desperate situation, I wonder if I too could redeem my position. Could I have the ability? Could I have the character, that determination? Would I be willing to pay the price if I found myself in that situation? But the reality is, I think, in life is most of the time we, may, we probably do find ourselves in that situation and we can't do anything about it. You know, you might be here today and this is your third attempt at a business venture. The first two have collapsed, you've failed, and you want to redeem it by trying to prove to your friends that you can do it, and yet it just hasn't happened. You know, we try to redeem all our situations. Maybe you're here today and there's a great chasm between you and your parents. Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's, there's a broken relationship with a sister or a brother. And what do we try and do? We try and redeem it. We try and make up for the wrong that we have done. And so what do we do? We buy them takeaway. We take them on a holiday. We, we do a variety of things in our life trying to redeem what we have done. And I think in a sense, that's why we love redemption stories. Would we have the ability, would we have the character, would we be able to pay the price of redeeming ourselves? And so we come to the book of Ruth, which I think is really a beautiful redemption story. We come to the chapter 4 of Ruth. See, the story of Ruth, I, I think, is really a redemption story because this word for redeem in the Hebrew, this gael, it, it actually occurs 23 times throughout this book. It's weaved through it because it's a story of redemption redemption in darkness and that's why I think the book of Ruth it, it, it tugs at our heartstrings it captures our imagination because the book of Ruth is set against the dark backdrop of Israel's history it's set against the days of the judges one of the most darkest periods in Israel's history and here we have this story where Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her two sons, they head away in this dark backdrop and they go further away from God and they go to Moab and Naomi has two sons and her husband Elimelech dies, her two sons die and so she's left with two daughters-in-law and to be a widow in the ancient world meant she had no security, no provision and no future. And so she comes back against this dark backdrop and Ruth comes with her to Bethlehem and we find out that Naomi is really bitter. She's bitter with God. She feels empty. She is empty and without hope. She comes back just hoping to get a bit of grain. And so we get to chapter 2. And Ruth, on a sunny day, she heads out while Naomi stays back. And Ruth heads out hoping that maybe someone in this dark moment of history, maybe there might be one farmer who might let me just get a few grains so that we could at least put some bread on our table for the next week. And lo and behold, what happens? Ruth heads out. It's a pretty risky business as a woman who's a Moabite to head out on a sunny day into the harvest fields. And she heads out. And lo and behold, by the providence of God, she ends up in this field of Boaz. She gets heaps of grain. She goes home. And Naomi's like this bitter woman who's now starting to go, oh, she starts to perk up because she sees this provision. She hears the story and it's like, Boaz? Well, Boaz is this sort of close redeemer to us. 
And so she comes up with a bit of a plan. Hey, no, Ruth, you need to go back day after day. Go back during harvest, day after day, and get more grain. Hopefully, and I think Naomi's like hoping that Boaz might notice her. And so day after day, Ruth goes back to the harvest field. She goes back. But things aren't going well. Naomi's like, well, is Boaz even noticing Ruth? And so in chapter, in chapter 3, Naomi's come up with a really, really, really risky plan. She's getting Ruth to go to Boaz and actually ask him, Boaz, will you marry me? Which is pretty big. And so she goes out in a shady circumstance and she asks Boaz to marry her. But because of the character of Boaz, he says, there's someone closer. There's a closer redeemer. I'll go see him and get him to do it. But if he won't, I will do it. And that's where we find ourselves today in Ruth chapter 4. What's going to happen? Is Ruth going to marry Boaz or is she going to marry someone else? And it's in this that we have some lessons because see for Naomi, she's empty. She was empty. She's very bitter. And for us, as we go through the valley, as we go through those dark valleys of life, as we go through those desert moments where we feel like God is far away, where we feel like what's going on around us is so empty that there's no hope for us, it's often in those moments that we learn some lessons. See, Naomi learns a lesson. And today, I think there's a couple of lessons for us that we can learn today from Ruth chapter 4. They're actually lessons about redemption. And so we're going to learn three lessons about redemption this morning and then one point to close. Our first lesson about redemption is this that we learn from chapter 4 is that redemption requires ability. To be redeemed, you need to be in a position in which you can redeem. Now, I don't have the ability to hand in and do your tax after the 31st of October. I don't have that ability. I don't have the ability to sign up and draw up the paperwork as a lawyer for you to go and buy another business or to do a business transaction. I don't have the ability to cook a good butter chicken. I just don't have it, right? But I do have one ability. I can fix cars. So that's, I have the ability to do that. But to be a redeemer, not everyone is a redeemer. You have to have the ability See, in the Old Testament, not everyone was. See, last week we learned a little bit about what a kingsman redeemer is. It's, it's the brother of the husband who's died and, and is a widow. And, and so that brother's obligation, because he's the nearest one, is he's to either take her, but if he can't take her, the next brother is to take her and to redeem her and to give her kids so that the name of the husband who has died can carry on. Then when it comes to the property of land, well, it could be someone who's a close relative, so what does that tell us about redemption? It tells us that the closer you are, the greater the obligation to redeem. And what's the opposite? The further away you are, the less obligation there is to redeem. But Boaz is close, we know, but there's someone who's closer. Look at verse 1. There's someone who has the ability. Boaz and this other man has the ability. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Boaz went up to the town gate sat down there just as, now here's the providence of God again, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. And Boaz says, he says to this man, come over here, my friend, come over, let's sit down. And so this man, he goes over and, and the 10 elders come over as well. Now it's, it's, it's a bit bizarre for us to be thinking about why would you want to sit at a city gate? Because here in Sydney, I don't think we have a city gate. But if we do have a city gate, I'm sure someone will tell me after. But for us, it's hard to picture that about the city gate. But for us, when we, we, if we have any legal transaction, if we have any business dealings, if we have anything that we need done, well, it's either going to end up in a lawyer's office 
on a boardroom table, or it could end up in the courtroom. That's where those things happen. But in Roost Day, it all happened at the city gate. It was a place where legal transactions happened. It was a place where official business took place, and on it goes. And so Boaz has gone to the right place to get this legal transaction done. And he, and he comes to this man in verses 3 to 4. We get no name of who this man is. But in verses 3 to 4, Boaz basically says, Hey, Elimelech's passed away. Naomi is the widow. The land needs to be redeemed. Can you do it? It's either you or it's either me. And this man, what does he say there at the end of verse 4? I will redeem the land. I will redeem it, he said. How are you feeling right now? If this is the first time you've read the book of Ruth, and if I'm watching a romantic comedy, at this point, can I I'm pretty ticked off. It's like, Boaz, you've let the girl get away. Like at this point, it's like, what have you done? Like, that's, that's the tension we feel. It's like, this man's going to do What about Boaz? And so we feel this tension of like, Boaz, what are you doing, bro? You're meant to have Ruth. I want you to have Ruth. Redemption requires ability. But just, just a side note, just for one moment as we think about that. With our 21st century lens of how we interpret things and just the world we live in and shaped by a culture, for us as we read this, we may take and read this and think that women were just property to buy and sell in the ancient world. It could be easy for us to read them and just think, oh, they're just someone you could purchase and sell and do all this. Now, <clears throat> nowhere does Ruth actually suggest that. Because actually, in the book of Ruth, Naomi's a widow and God's way of caring for the widow who has no money, no security, no provision and no family. See, God has redeemed these people out of darkness. He's redeemed them and brought them in as his people and there to be a light to the nations. And so what do you do? You love your widows. You care for them. It's a way in which God shows concern for the individuals. And so redemption requires ability. And this man has the ability to do it. And so he says, yep, I'll buy the land. And that means Naomi comes with it, which in probably all sense is actually not a bad thing for this man. Here's a couple of reasons why it's, it's good. It's, it's not a bad thing because possibly he sees it as, I get to purchase this land and I've got to care for Ruth. Now, from a perspective of buying it, he's just got to buy the land. But then he gets to crop it, to graze it, have a harvest every year. And for the rest of his life, it's going to have an incredible ongoing income stream to him. And that means that then he, his children can then inherit that land. So it's actually quite good for him. And he can love Naomi, care for her. She's above childbearing age, so she's not going to have more kids. He can bring her in, provide her with some food, let her have some takeout with KFC. You know, let, and, and, and I'm pretty sure Naomi's not going to eat the whole leg of lamb on, on, on baked dinner night. Give her a credit card, go to Cotton On and Jean, Just Jeans once a month. And really, he's caring for his mother, for, for, sorry, for Naomi, and it's really not that big a cost. And he gets a pretty good return on the property. He has the ability to do it. But the question we're left with is, though, does he have the character, though, as well? See, redemption, our next lesson is that redemption also requires character. 
Redemption requires character. I think one of the reasons I love redemption stories, like, you know, Bear Grylls who breaks his back and then climbs Mount Everest, or to hear stories of people who have broken a leg or had serious head trauma and they come back and they achieve great things. One of those things that I love about those stories is their character and their determination and their resolve to make it happen. And what do we see in this man? What do we see in the person who said, I will redeem? Well, verse 5, did you notice that Boaz fills in a bit more details? Okay, well, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also, though, acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain his family line. And now we see the true character come out. Verse 6, what does he say? I cannot redeem. It will threaten and endanger my own estate. I cannot redeem And the man's character, it's put on display for all of us. He hasn't got that resolve. He hasn't got that hesed, that loyalty and love and grace and mercy of Boaz. And so it's against this backdrop. See, Boaz has said, if he won't do it, I will do it. And it's against this backdrop that Boaz's character shines through of integrity, faithfulness to his word, expressed outwardly. See, Boaz, is, he, he's, he's expressing his character outwardly, whereas this other man is expressing it inwardly. And so they sign the paperwork. Now, for us, we signed the dotted line in the ancient world. They just took off their sandal and they swapped it. Hopefully, they got a bit of hand sanitizer and cleaned the thong first. And then they swapped it. And then they could go around in front of the witnesses going, we've done the deal. Boaz is going to buy the land, he's going to care for Naomi, and he's going to marry Ruth. What an incredible picture for us. He announces it in verse 9. Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses of it. And like, we're pretty pumped at this stage. His character shines through. Which is really interesting because the other man's character shines as well. Did you notice something about the other character? There's no name. Boaz calls him a friend. The author probably knows the name of this man and it's got me wondering why. It could be, maybe it's just the author doesn't want to bring shame to that man's family name because of what he did. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's to heighten the reality of this man's character in redemption and what he doesn't have. But what we see, though, is the resolve of Boaz, the determination. Because, see, redemption requires ability. That's one of the lessons we've learned. Another lesson about redemption is that it requires character, but finally, it actually requires payment. Redemption requires a payment. Redemption is very, very costly. See, the closer redeemer, he seems happy to redeem while the cost was minimal and the financial return high. But once he found out Ruth was involved, it was way too high. And sadly, it, it, it's for, I think it's for a couple of reasons. The first one is race. She's a Moabite. No way would I want a Moabite joining our family and the influence she will have. What will it do to my kids? What will it do to our family name? She'll endanger us. I don't want property going to a Moabite. And sadly, I think sometimes as Christians, we exactly do the same thing where we go, we don't want our kids hanging out with those kids because they're going to influence. And, 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 and it's, it's, we're worried about those things. See, he's worried. 
Sometimes we're worried, don't we, about someone from a different nation or a different ethnicity. And here he's worried about what that's going to do. But I think it's actually bigger than that. I think there's hints here that it's actually the cost. He doesn't want to pay the cost because now it's going to affect him. Here's a couple of reasons. Because if he was only getting Naomi, it was in his best interest. But now if he gets Ruth as well, oh boy, it's going to become very costly. See, Naomi wasn't of childbearing age, but Ruth is. So that not only does he have to feed and care for Naomi, he's now got to care and feed Ruth. But the problem with that is if Ruth gets married and has kids, guess what happens to the property he's just bought and redeemed? It goes to those kids that she has. And so all that care and all that money, he gets nothing out of it. If she marries and has more kids, you know, it's got to feed, she, he's going to have to feed them as well. And so he's, in a sense, I wonder, do we get a picture of someone who's self-absorbed and self-love, loves himself, that the cost is, it's just too high. But see, that's the difference with Boaz. See, Boaz is willing to act for the sake of the common good. For the, he has this, he's outward at incredible cost. It's incredible cost. And so he purchases the land, he brings Naomi in and he marries Ruth. Because see, redemption requires a costly payment. Redemption requires a costly payment. And true redemption requires the payment in full. See, sometimes I think we mix up redemption and rescuing. Sometimes we go, oh, Jesus has rescued us, or, or we, we sort of like, he's just come and he's grabbed us and saved us, or God will save us and rescue us. Now, a few years ago, we were at the beach with a friend, with a bunch of friends, and my friend was struggling to swim. He was out at the backwaters, he was, he was, he was drowning. He was rescued. He was rescued by the lifeguard or one of us would have rescued him. There was really no cost to that, very minimal cost. He wasn't redeemed. But redemption means there is a price to be paid. There's actually there's a debt that needs to be put right. True redemption requires a full payment. So there's a couple of lessons we learn from this passage. We learn that redemption, is, it's, it's, in a sense, it has to have the ability to do it. That Redemption requires ability, it requires resolve and character, and it requires an incredible payment. See, redemption, it tugs at our heartstrings, it tugs at our thinking. We, we love those stories. We love the stories of individuals redeeming themselves. Think about your own situation right now. I wonder, are you trying to redeem? Are you trying to redeem your own circumstances? Are you trying to put things right? Are you trying to save face right now in this moment? And so we love stories of redemption, thinking, man, can I redeem my own situation right now? But here's the whole Bible of the story. See, the whole Bible is a story of redemption from front to back. But it's a very different story to our stories of redemption. It's a story of how God is redeeming a people for himself. It's a different story of redemption where the ones being redeemed are not the ones doing the redeeming. So this mini story of Ruth and Boaz is meant to lift our eyes to a much, much bigger story of how God is redeeming people for him. 
See, the words redeemed mean to buy, to pay, to purchase. And, that, and we need this because the story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 is that we've been living in the dominion of darkness ever since. We can do nothing. Genesis 3, Genesis chapter 4, we have murder. Genesis chapter 6, everyone is evil. Genesis chapter 11 and 12, they try to do their own thing. Just go on and on and on. And even today, we still live in the same dominion of darkness. It's a saying. Ever since then, we've been living against God. Not interested in God. Not even close to God. We're actually disconnected from God. And the Bible is a story about that redemption of how God will redeem people. Because see, the Bible is a story of a greater act of redemption. See, the Bible is a greater story. Did you notice the hints maybe in Ruth chapter 4? There's these little hints of a greater story. Have a look at verse 11 and to 22. There's a hint here of that. Verse 11, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the women who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. who together build up a family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, what's probably going on here? Well, see, Rachel, in this moment, the author is actually pointing us to a bigger story. It's linking us in with the big story of God's act of redemption to bring someone who will save and redeem. See, Rachel and Leah, they are people who have been brought in from the outside of Israel. And they're praying, these people are praying, just like God who was faithful in bringing 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Judah, 12 tribes of Israel, may he do the same in some incredible way through Ruth. Look at the impact these 12 sons had. Then Tamar's mentioned, who was also a Canaanite woman who was outside the family of God. And it was through this Canaanite woman that God carries on the family line of Judah. See, they're saying, God, bless Ruth and Naomi. Bless Ruth, an outsider, with children to carry on the line. See, what they're asking is, it's pretty big. They're asking that Ruth may be pivotal in the history of, of Israel, which is really the history of God's redemption. They're they're praying that she'll be pivotal in that. And these prayers are answered. Verse 13, Boaz marries, they're probably a big celebration, Boaz marries Ruth. They consummate the marriage and you notice that God enables Ruth to have a child. Now, when we hear about God enabling women to have children in the Bible, it actually makes us stop for a moment because it means God's probably going to do something big. Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, Mary, the New Testament. Something we, we need to stop and pay close attention now. And Ruth has a boy named Obed. And now they sort of, the rest slips off the screen. But now we hear about the genealogy. And now the genealogy starts to make a little bit of sense. Because, see, this story of this little love story of Ruth and Boaz is actually pointing to a much greater story of how God is working in the midst of one of the most darkest times in Israel's history to bring about redemption. See, he's providing the way for the greatest king in Israel to come. See, it tracks the genealogy to King David, who was Israel's probably greatest king. A king who would bring support, a king who would bring in, he, he would bring change. 
See, in verse 1 of chapter 1, as we realise it's the days of Judges, we are not meant to know, we don't see this coming, that there's a big story involved here. That the incredible grace of God, the incredible grace of God that God would show Israel, this is incredible grace. This is incredible grace that he would use a Moabite woman as the result of Imelech's rebellion and wickedness, who did not live up to his name as God is my king, who did not lead in a way he should have, and rather he went further and further away from God. And yet in God's incredible grace, he uses that, that path to bring about the great, 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 great grandchild of Ruth, who would be King David, a king who would solve the problems. Because see, the book of Ruth is a book about Naomi at the start being empty. She's absolutely empty, but by the end of the book, she is full. See, all along she actually was full because she was, God was there. See, it's a story for us in the midst of our lives as, as God's providential hand is at work in our life. See, he was at work there. They didn't see the dots being joined, but God is there actively at work in Naomi's and Ruth's life because what he's doing is he's at work. They don't understand why they're empty. They don't understand what's going on, but God's actually using that to a bigger story. That bigger story is that King David would come. And so for us as well, we may be here empty, feeling like God is far away. We may feel like God is nowhere near us and that our life is empty and we feel very bitter with God. Well, like Ruth, Ruth, the book of Ruth wants you to lift your eyes and to have hope and to actually see that, that God's at work. See, he's at work in King David. He's at work through Ruth to bring about King David. But ultimately... For us as well, I think we read it this side of Jesus. Because see, not only was the judges a dark time in history, when Matthew chapter 1 came about. Go to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, there's been 400 years of silence where they think, where is God in our situation? And the first thing we hear is, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Who wants to read a genealogy? of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it goes through there in verse 3. We hear about Perez. We hear about Tamar. We hear about Rahab. We hear about Obed and Ruth. And finally, we get to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because see, what's really happening is, is God's actually working in his providence. He's working to a bigger point in history where God himself would step into our world. He would break in to redeem that God would send his son to redeem us, who was pierced for our transgressions, that he was pierced for our sin, and he, he bore the price, he paid the price for us, and that through his life, death, and resurrection, he lived the life that we could not live. He died the death we should have died. He was raised from the grave. And here in Matthew, we are reminded, here is the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to redeem and the reason he can redeem is because he has the ability. He has the character. And he can pay the price in full. Whereas you and me cannot do that. Do you notice that redemption has got nothing to do with us? Redemption in the Bible is about what God does. That's the good news of Jesus. Because see, the Bible is a story of a, great, a greater act of redemption of God at work. See, redemption is about what God does. Like Boaz's day, 
the days of darkness, we too live in a world that's living in the dominion of darkness. Nothing's changed. And the God who created this world is not actually obligated. He's not obligated to redeem us. We are so far from him that we've cut ourselves off from him. Let alone our character. We don't have the ability, let alone our character. Imagine what we felt like this week. As you look back over the last 168 hours of the week, I wonder, how's your character been? Have there been moments, well, I've, been, I've had moments like this no-name man where I've been self-absorbed and self-loving rather than outward-looking. How many of you had the resolve to try and change habits this week or to redeem your situation and in the end it, doesn't, it falls through? There's been many, many moments this week in your life maybe where you've tried to, to put something right with someone through actions or through moral behaviour and then you do it but then next week it falls and it fails. It's because of the world that we live in. We're sinful people. But even more than that, we, we once lived in the dominion of darkness. So we can't purchase our redemption. We can't pay the price in full. We don't have the ability to do it. See, the answer to Sydney's problems at the moment is not another politician, the one that you want in. The answer to things last night is not better moral behaviour because it's not going to redeem. There's only one who can redeem you from the dominion of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of his son. There's only one. See, moral behaviour will not in the end save you. It will not redeem you. No matter how good you become, no matter how much you try, you will always fail and you've got such a big debt to pay that you can't wipe it clean. But one can who has the ability, who has the character and how, who will pay the price. See, 1 Peter says, it says, we can't purchase our salvation. For you know that you were not purchased with perishable things such as silver and gold and you weren't purchased from your empty, your empty way of life was handed down to every person from history. But you can't purchase your, you, why? Because it's, it's perishable. Gold can't purchase you because it's perishable. And what are we? We're perishable as well. We can't perish. Well, sorry, we, we can't fix our life because we are also perishable beings. We are like that. We're going to die. We, we, we can't do it. No matter how much gold, no matter how much silver we have, no matter how morally upright we are, we can never do it. You're never in a place to be your own redeemer between you and God. But there is one who can. 1 Peter gives us that answer. But you have been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scrolls and to open the seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you see that we've been purchased by the blood of Christ? He paid the debt. As Jesus was on the cross, as he was crucified, as God turned his back, the Father turned his back from him, as the nails went through his hands, as he bled, all of that that he went through was to pay for your sin. He paid it all in full. Every single bit of it, everything you've already done and everything that you're going to do for the rest of your life, he has paid it in full so that you could be redeemed. 
See, that's the good news. Morals is bad news because there's only one who has fully lived the righteous life, and that's Jesus. The gospel is good news about what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still the enemies of God, Christ died for us. See, redemption is a story about what God does. For us to see our need of redemption today, for us to see our need for that redemption, for us to see the greater redemption story, you need to see three things. You need to see your own pride. You need to see and recognise your own pride. You need to recognise your own inability and you need to recognise that you just can't pay for it. See, we need to rest in Jesus. How do we receive this wonderful redemption? It's through repentance and faith. It's nothing that we have done. And so it leads us, this redemption leads us to give joyful thanks to the Father. Why? Because the Father's qualified you to share in the inheritance who's brought you out of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his son whom he loves, whom has purchased our redemption, who's got us the forgiveness of sins. See, redemption is actually all about what God has done for us. It's what he's done for us. Redemption is about his ability, his character, and that he has paid the price. May we not forget that, church, and may we overflow with great joy and thankfulness in our hearts because of what Christ has done for us today. And it really leads us with one option, isn't it? On a day when we think about mission, it leads us to understand that we need to take this good news to a world that's without hope. And we have the hope of a gospel message of Christ who can take you from the dominion of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of him. Let's pray. Father, we, 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 we ask now that we will just understand your redemption more clearly. Lord, forgive us for the times this week where we've, where we've thought that we've contributed, where we've tried to buy your love, where we've tried to do things in a way that can redeem ourselves. But Father, let us rest in the beauty and the wonder of your incredible grace and your mercy that you showed to those Israel people, which you've actually shown to us because Christ died for us. And so, Father, we pray that we'll really know this. Lord, for us, we could have turned up today hoping for a message that tells us to go away and do more. They have three points that says, hey, go do this, this and this and your life will be better. But Father, I pray today that we won't go away expecting that, but we will sit and rest in the beautiful redemption of what you have done in your son today. Help us never to forget it, never to move on from it and to delight in it and give thanks for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.